podcast this week. Do you see? Do you see? Do you see? Yes, Sam Neill himself drops into our dimension of pure terror, pure chaos, to talk hunt for the wilder people. And we have a natter with a man who may or may not be the proud father of Bridget Jones' baby, Colin Firth. All that and usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that would consider moving to BBC One to become the Great British Bake Off's replacement. Because what's better than 12 people in a tent than four people in a grey, lifeless, soul-sucking box? Mmm, I'm on board. Uh, hello, Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, sponsored once again by those high flyers at American Airlines, the world's largest airline. With uh, two flights a day from Heathrow to LAX on its new planes, American Airlines is a preferred airline of the entertainment industry, and with 260 movies... And 240 TV shows available on demand, on board. That's enough content. That's 500, 240 plus 260, I worked it out. 500 pieces of entertainment to content you as you fly around the world. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times. Skip to the end. 26 times. 26 times amazing stuff so you can catch up on whatever they have what do they have so you can catch up on Game of Thrones American Horror Story Suits to name but three amazing stuff and of course American Airlines are not just sponsoring this podcast no 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 they have taken off I don't know why I'll pause I used that pun <laughs> four weeks in a row uh, they've taken off by becoming the uh, headline sponsor of Empire Live our amazing entertainment extravaganza which is coming to the O2 in London next week Next week, from September 23rd to the 25th, uh, tickets are available at EmpireLive.com. We'll be talking more about that later on. All very, very exciting, uh, including our live podcast, of course. Okay, so joining me this week, two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, First up is our geek queen, a lady who flirted once with changing channels, but turns out she was in the middle of a supernatural marathon Sam and Dean had just taken her shirts off she couldn't find the remote so she thought ah bugger it it's Helen O'Hara yes I was looking for the remote at that point I don't know I, I think we could absolutely by the way take over from Bake Off we just need some bunting in this lifeless grace box yeah now she's left the Spice Girls I'm sure she'd be more than happy to come oh in. dear oh dear um uh, but yes, I flew American Airlines this week. Actually, it was nice. Was <laughs> what Just, a coincidence! I know. <laughs> I, I was aw- I was away doing an exciting thing, so it was fun. You were doing an exciting yeah. thing. Yeah. Do you know I, what I was doing when you were doing your exciting thing? What were you doing? Wallowing in misery and hatred. Oh. I was having breakfast with a major movie star. I've got that beat. Okay. No, I don't. <laughs> right. Also on the podcast this week, a man who is so angry, he's a rage-filled career killer, that the only channel he could conceivably switch to would be Fox News. And they turned him down because he was too angry. Amazing. It's John Eugens. How are you? Hello, Chris. <laughs> Such anger in that voice. It's just, that John, John was sitting there with a gentle smile on his face through that whole introduction. John, who this week, um, someone tweeted John, we'll be talking about the Beatles later on, and someone tweeted John, confirming something I've said to you before, that you are on the spitting image of a young George Harrison. And yeah. there's, a, there's an image of John uh, that looks very much like a young George Harrison. And George, of course, was the quiet Beatle. That's right. Yeah, I, I have the floppy hair, if not the the quiet temperament mm. as I'm apparently rage-filled. <laughs> <laughs> you're, like a, you're like a quiche of anger. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm you like want. A, I'm I... like a slowly deflating flan of anger. <laughs> um, Flanger. Flanger, yeah. Thank you. I flew American Airlines last week, actually, and I can confirm. Did you? Yes. 
This is genuinely a coincidence. Uh, yes, this is not just part as the of show it. gets sponsored by American and Airlines. I heartily approve their, <laughs> their service. I flew American Airlines recently as well. They were very, very good. Yeah. I, I'm not actually getting paid to say <laughs> no, that. No, 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 I'd like some money if they have wow. any to give me. That's uh, that's quite amazing. Uh, there is one other person in this booth. Uh, every now and again, we have a, a worky. We're not allowed to use that term, are we? But, you know. No. In- no. Intern? Intern. Editorial intern? Edit- no. what, yeah, whatever. Uh, work experience person who impresses us with their talent, their application, their diligence. And as a reward, they get to watch us faff around in the pod booth uh, every now and again. Uh, Noah Brown hasn't impressed us with his application, <laughs> his diligence and his talent, but nevertheless, we let him in anyway. Hello, Noah. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thank you. Very, very good. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself in 35 seconds. Um, I'm a big fan of film. Mm-hmm. Uh, really enjoyed my two weeks here. That's good. And- Give him the fiver. <laughs> and um, yeah, what a reward to be sat here! In this, uh, <laughs> what a reward! What a reward! This what is your Falhalla. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, what have we? What have you had you do in the last two weeks? Um, oh, well, I have been to a couple of screenings. Uh-huh. I've also been able to contribute to uh, an article which has recently gone up on the website, a Captain America article mm-hmm. with. John Nugent, yes. next to me right here. Yes. So, um, team effort. Yeah, team effort. That was great, and um, yeah, lots of spreadsheets as well. But it's been uh, <laughs> it's been all worth it. I've really enjoyed it. We know how to live. You do. Year. You do. It's 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 been a roller coaster ride. It really it's been, has. It's yeah. been amazing. It was good having you. Uh, yeah, you'll be chipping in as the podcast progresses. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of stuff to get through. So many films this week are <clears> out. So uh, we'll we'll get to that. Uh, in a second but we have a question now in case you didn't know what I was talking about earlier on I don't know how you've missed it so the Great British Bake Off this week was poached can you poach a cake? poached by Channel 4 mm-hmm. from the BBC from BBC One in a shock move shocking uh, £25 million pound move uh, that would get you one of Raheem Sterling's legs I don't know who that's that amazing. is that's wow. amazing uh, but anyway so it's moved the country is in uproar <laughs> Uh, people are sobbing in the streets. It's extraordinary. Uh, so we have the question from Ali Sinyard, formerly of this parish. Oh, hello, Ali. Uh, who asks, with all this talk of GBBO and cake, <laughs> what's your favourite scene involving cake? And uh, <laughs> Ali has even uh, uh, added a little gif of <laughs> Stephen Root in Office Space, <laughs> the scene where everyone's eating cake. <laughs> He's looking around at people eating cake. And then there is no cake for him. <laughs> That's a very, very good scene. It's a tragic um, scene. It's a tragic scene. Imagine having no cake, Chris. Um, we should we should mention that this podcast is currently being fueled because I didn't have a chance to get any breakfast by um, Marks and Spencer's caramel crispy mini bites, which I bought yesterday and have brought into the uh, the office. I figured if I said on there, they might send us some. That's that's a good yes. So M and S, if you're listening, we mm. do like the caramel crispy mini bites. Who's your favourite, Marks or Spencer? Marks, you know me, lefty. <laughs> um, no so politics, Helen. No politics. <laughs> so cake. Um, uh, I think singing in the rain has to be a really good contender. Uh, mm-hmm. Debbie Reynolds, yeah. of course, jumps out of a cake, but there's also a cake fight, sort yes. of thing. So, uh, yeah. so that that's it's not, pretty that's, thorough. That's not it. That's not it. That's not it. What's not it? That's not it. How is it not, it's it? not it? Does Debbie Reynolds, when she jumps out of the cake, yeah, have her top on? Of course she does. She's right. Debbie Reynolds. I know where you're going, Chris. You know where I'm going. I know where you're going. With you this. know where I'm going. 
Uh, I don't know where you're going. Nudie Cake Wars <laughs> is my favourite film. No, um, <laughs> Under Siege. Yes. Oh, that's true. She doesn't have a top on. Erica Eleniak. Erica Eleniak. Eleniak? Eleniak? Or Eleniak? I've never had this satisfactorily answered for me. I would have said Eleniak. Eleniak. Now I don't know. I'm questioning everything. Eleniak. Definitely Erica. Why is it better if she's topless? It's not better that she's topless. Of course it's not better that she's topless. It's better that she's under siege. Which, as we all know... (laughs) Uh-huh. is a better film than Singing in the Rain. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Singing in the Rain is very good, but I mean, it doesn't have an ex-Special Forces chef in it. It doesn't. It seems. So, I mean, how do you know? It could be that the cake the cake maker was an ex-Special Forces chef. We don't know. He could have fought in World War II. Does it have Gary Busey? Oh, wait, does Singing in the Rain have that. Gary Busey? No, Singing in the Rain, admittedly, does not have Gary Busey. All right. Sorry. So far, it's two for two on the Am I Better Than Under Siege. <laughs> oh, oh, and also, by the way, um, Some Like It Hot also has a scene where a person jumps out of a cake, and that guy has a machine gun. <laughs> oh, hang on a second. We may so, have a new contender. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> there we go. Back in the uh, game. There you go. Many, I'm, I'm saying Under Siege, but that, that, that's not my full answer. But How many Gary Buseys are there in Some Like It Hot? <laughs> Three. <laughs> I can't back that up. I wouldn't be surprised if Gary Busey uh, had somehow inserted himself digitally, <laughs> let me finish, <laughs> into uh, classic movies, just in the background. I would watch those. Yeah, because yeah. he, he is that. No, do you, do, you, do you have an answer for this? I do, yes. Um, it's a slightly uh, off-field one, mm-hmm. but um, Wild Tales came out last year. Oh. Mm-hmm. Pedro Almodovar. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, it's like a... Scene where basically this wedding just goes, just goes mental, and uh, the the wife, there's a huge fight between the wife and the groom. Because, oh yes, have you I seen the film? That, yeah, it's a it's Pedro Almodovar it's produced Almodovar, it, yeah, mm. and it is hilarious. So if you haven't seen it, I would recommend it. Wedding cakes in movies often get really trashed. Definitely, yeah. You know, we're talking like falling over, yeah, people crashing into them, being dropped. I mean, you name it. It's probably happened to a wedding cake in a movie. Do you know what's yeah. weird? What's that? They don't have cake in Star Wars. No, that's true. Um, and they, well, yeah, they're too busy drinking blue milk. Maybe they, it's 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 like tastes think, like cake, you know? Yeah, there must be yeah. a bantha cake somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, in terms of worst cakes in the movies, I can give you an answer that definitely has a soggy bottom. Uh, drag me to hell. Eyeball oh, cake. Okay. Now, I don't think Paul or Mary would really uh-huh. warm to that. They find matcha a weird ingredient. So if you put an eyeball in your cake, I'm saying you're going to come bottom in the technical. I don't know. It depends if the flavours are there. Well, I mean, if you put some gin in it as well, you might get away with it. Yeah, but no. precisely. Oh, wow. That is a good cake. I like that cake. Uh, John, what have you got? Well, I think the correct answer here is surely Matilda. Bruce Bogtrotter is forced to eat oh, massive yeah. chocolate cake by Miss Trunchbull. Let's live in the dream. Maybe next week we should have pastry week and then we can discuss <laughs> the competitive eating scene in Stand By Me. Yes. And of course yes. the entirety of Waitress. <laughs> yes. My favourite scene involving cake, though, mm-hmm. is not from a movie. What's that? It's from a TV show. What's it's that? Brass Eye. Oh. Brass Eye's drugs episode. Yes. Cake is a made up drug. <laughs> Uh, where Chris Morris manages to persuade a bunch of celebrities, including Bernard Manning, that um, <laughs> the cake is the newest drug on the on the streets. It affects a part of the brain known as Shatner's bassoon. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing. And he, um, he convinces an MP at one he point. He does, yeah. And he gets debated in Parliament. So yes, I mean, that's right. 
It's extraordinary. <laughs> oh, Jinx. Oh. Now you can't speak to the rest of the podcast. Oh. Uh, cake is a made-up drug, says Bernard Manning. It's not made from plants. It's made from chemicals by sick bastards. <laughs> <laughs> One young kid, a young cake, cried all the water out of his body. Just imagine how his mother felt. It's a fucking disgrace. <laughs> it's extraordinary. Oh, yes, Noel Edmonds. Noel Edmonds talking about the part of the brain known as Shatner's bassoon. And mm-hmm. uh, Noel Edmonds, to this day, and this may surprise you, has not found that funny <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. But that's my, that's my mic drop, Cake in, in Brass Eye. If you haven't seen it, go and check it out. It's extraordinary. Um, okay, right. So if you want to have your uh, question read out in the Emperor podcast, Send them in to Twitter. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. The hashtag is, of course, Empire Podcast, or chances are we won't see it. We're on Facebook as Empire Magazine. And you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. All very, very exciting. Thank you, Ali, for that question. And uh, very sad about Bake Off. Very, very sad indeed. Uh, time now, then, for our first guest this week. He is an Oscar winner. He's a Kingsman. He's been many times a Mr. Darcy. And one day... He will surely be Sir Colin Firth. But when I went to speak to him recently about Bridget Jones' baby, the third in the series, he was just plain old Sir Colin Firth. <laughs> Insists upon it. It's really weird. No, of course it doesn't. He was just, he was just Colin. It's just like you and me, just hanging out in a hotel room. Yeah. While people come and talk to him. A uh, ton of fun was had. Please enjoy what I'm calling a colonic inspection. No. Oh, don't call it. No. Please. That's disrespectful. Oof. It's not disrespectful. It is. I, he was, he's Colin. No, I was inspecting. Okay, enjoy the interview. <laughs> We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by Colin Firth. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Excellent. Yes, I'm very, very good, actually. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of months ago, we shared a lift in an L.A. hotel. Oh, yes, I do. You were over for Bridget Jones' baby. Uh, I was there for something else. And we shared some small talk on the way up. Uh, and as I got out, I said, you said to me, well, I'll see you again sometime. And I said, because I was jet lagged and a bit flummoxed, because you don't expect to find an Oscar winner actor in your lift. Well, you do at the Four Seasons in LA, though. You do at the Four Seasons, yeah. I guess. I said, strangest places. Now, is that the weirdest thing anyone's ever said to you in a lift? No. <laughs> no, I think when you, often when you run into someone you don't see every day, there's a, a, a tendency to deconstruct afterwards yeah it's a perfectly normal thing so don't worry you, you, you come afterwards and you, you come away going I said good morning I can't believe I said good morning what an idiot I said good morning you know it's yeah. fine no, yeah. no we, I run into you we run into each other all the time yeah absolutely but it, it is the strangest places I was jet lagged and it was just a I know. Bit, bit strange everyone's jet lagged when they do press for films though the journalists the actors <laughs> your, your, everything that's written about a film or said about a film uh-huh. uh, every response to a film is by by uh, people who are sleep deprived, uh, absolutely, you know, their bloodstream is full of caffeine at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> so I would be very skeptical about everything that is said about films, particularly by the, you know, the actors. So I shouldn't believe a word you no, say. No, don't, no, don't trust a word. For the next twenty minutes. Okay, well, this should make it interesting. Then, how jet lagged are you now? Are you uh, no, I'm all right now, but I, I'm, I, I'm, I've been moving around. I'm a bit sleep deprived. I, I don't really have any particularly good explanation or excuse for that. I just, <laughs> 
just am. No, but we did. We saw each other in a lift in Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. I'd last seen you in Surrey, hadn't I? Yes. In the, the set Long of, Cross or something. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's something we can't talk about at this No, I was, we were both visiting the Kingsman set. Well, yes, that's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> so keeping that ruse up, is that the, uh, yeah. is that the yeah, idea? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because um, you have become a bit of a marvel in the last few months with this movie and another movie we may or may not be able to talk about a cheating death uh, because obviously Mark Darcy oh, is in the true? books well people keep trying to kill me yeah mm. why is that no, is I, I, nice I, I, I don't know I'm just obviously I've um, upset the wrong people <laughs> <laughs> there's a sort of creative contract out on me <laughs> <laughs> which you keep alluding yeah. which is great um, obviously Mark Darcy's passed away in the in the book uh, yeah. in the book world of, uh, of Bridget Jones I, well, I think the that? conceit here is prequel. Okay. I think uh, I thought they were just being outrageous and saying, oh, the book's the book's the film's film. We can do what we want. It's all made up anyway. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, we've had enough modern and postmodern and post-postmodern. You know, we can do it. Tarantino uh, get, has Hitler die at the end of his film. Absolutely. Um, but they didn't, they weren't quite as cavalier as that. Um, I think the idea is that, you know, that Helen Fielding's book is what takes place after this. Okay. That's, that's, so I, I'm still alive. I've still got a few more years. That's uh, a, still a very dark. Before my demands. It, 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 it puts it the end of this Well, movie, no, I've got right? a death sentence hanging over me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mm. So you need to make the fourth movie, like, now. It's, mm. it's as simple as that. Yeah. Uh, when did you get the call for this? And were you on board immediately? Oh, I got the call in 2005, then 2006, and then again in 2007. <laughs> it's, um, it's been a regular call. Um, uh-huh. There have been various attempts to get this off the ground. And I think we are fighting, um, you know, sequel hell. Mm. You know, the scepticism, quite justifiable scepticism about sequels. Yes. They're, 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 you know, it's a vexed business. And uh, it was interesting talking to Matthew Vaughan about this because he'd never done sequels before. And um, there's a paradox to the whole business in terms of demand because there is a demand and then there's also a resistance and a cynicism. Yes. You know, you make a sequel uh, because people want there to be a sequel. And of course, there's the commercial side of that. There's some people saying there's money to be made and you know, we've got to do it. So there's that motive, you know, people are motivated by that. And of course. There are, there are probably perfectly sincere reasons as well. The character's got more life, there's another story to be told, there's more story. Sometimes, you know, the mold just is broken completely. No one talks about James Bond as sequels anymore. You know, it, it suddenly breaks out into yep. being a, 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 a series which people embrace. And, uh, and then you have the very interesting process of, of things like, you know, Richard Linklater's films mm. where you, you actually do deliberately wait for people to move yes. up a generation or half a generation and see what's happening later in their lives. Yes. So there are all sorts of conventions for it. And then there's just the churn another one out and, and uh, you know, cash it up. And I think we really didn't want to do that. And, um, you know, people will, they want the first film again. Yes. That's really, I mean, crudely speaking, they loved the first one and they want another hit mm-hmm. uh, I mean a hit like as in a dopamine hit yeah they absolutely. want to get they want yeah. to get the same shot of of, of, uh, of adrenaline or you know laughter or whatever it is that you had the first time but they will actually hate you if you give them the first film again so you've got to try to give it to them fresh uh, but you know not just repeat yourself and finding the third act of this thing um, was a 
juggling all of that. And uh, so there, it, was, it almost went into production a few years ago. In fact, it did go into production and then collapsed. Okay. I, I've spoken to different directors, different writers over the years. So there wasn't one call. It was just, an, you know, the thing was evolving. So when the first day came around on this iteration of the movie, were you pinching yourself? You're looking around going, okay, this, this is definitely happening. I was. Is, yeah. I was because, because it hadn't occurred in that conventional way of, you know, you get a call, you say yes or no, you do the deal and then you show up on a day of a new film. I, I actually, if, if something drags on long enough without happening, you are lulled into the idea that's, you know, it's never going to happen. It's, it's, um, so it, I was really quite, it was a jolt to, mm. to be sitting there and see all those people who are also back. I couldn't quite believe so many people did come yeah, back. I mean, there's a very, very noticeable absence. Yes. And I, I think that was cause for concern for all of us at first. Mm -hmm. Can it possibly work? But it was very, very quickly, I got against all my natural instincts, started to feel optimistic. Mm. Um, you know, I, 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 it was seeing that combination of people, seeing Rene on such good form. Uh, the first table read of, you know, and hearing the voices seeming to really work yes. and the jokes yes. sounding actually quite good and it all being quite <laughs> moving and, and seeing Bridget's friends back and you yeah. know, knowing that we we're going to have Jim Broadbent and, yeah. and, and Gemma and Shirley and, and you know, James and Sally. It, it, it was, we hadn't seen much of each other over the years. Okay. Sharon McGuire, you know, a few minutes ago was describing it as a wonderful dysfunctional family reunion and it did have that feel about <laughs> it. And then, but critically, and I do think it's critical, is, is some fresh blood. Yes. You know, and, and uh, hitting it off with Patrick really helped. And I wasn't sure that character was going to work until Patrick showed up and I heard uh, okay. him and, and, yeah. and saw it in action. I suddenly thought, no, this is he's, he's not just going to work. He's probably going to steal it. Absolutely. Uh, what's interesting as well about the, the movie, there's a number of interesting things, but uh, uh, Patrick's character, Jack, mm. could simply have just been another Daniel Cleaver. And they didn't do that. And, uh, you know, not to give too much away in the film, but there's no fight. It's an absolutely brutal and bruising um, battle of passive aggression. <laughs> <laughs> it's much worse than having your hair pulled and your oh, eyes yeah. scratched out. Yeah. Um, uh, so, no, but I mean, it didn't reproduce the formula. Mm -hmm. um, I was scared that it would, and I thought even by trying to have another character as a, as a rival for Bridget was mm -hmm. dangerously close to just treading, the, you know, through the, going through the paces of an old formula. But by making him um, so specific and, and different mm -hmm. um, and making even the nature of the rivalry so different by, by the fact that he's actually not the villain. Yes. Made it more interesting. I, I, I thought this is actually, you know, you, you, you get a fresher film when you've got, you know, you reset and ref, refresh all the, the issues. And to make him in, uh, instead of, uh, you know, I'm the good guy and he's the bad guy, mm. gave me a new set of problems to deal with. Um, you know, because I think Mark's got a lot going against him this time. He's old news. He's disappointed her over and over again. I mean, these aren't exactly advantages in courtship. Yes. And, uh, and particularly when you've got the new guy who's, um, you know, there's nothing, nothing sexier than the, the unknown and, and, yeah. uh, and something new sort of showing up. So Mark doesn't really have much up his sleeve to combat that. With What he might have had was, well, yeah, but I'm the good guy. I'm the knight in shining armor who saves you from the villain. Well, he hasn't even got that because that mm -hmm. guy is a knight in shining armor as well. So what has he got? And in the end, I suppose, all he really does have to offer is that, you know, I'm the guy who can say, I've loved you for 15 years. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's the battle between that, the old and the new. Absolutely. Mm. But there must have been a part of you 
now that Kingsman has turned you into a lean, mean, killing machine. That, that must have been yearning for a fight to unleash hell on Patrick Dempsey. Um, oh, yes. No, I, yeah, I, I thought you, you don't know who you're messing with here. <laughs> <laughs> Take the yeah. umbrella. Yeah, no, no, no. I, don't, I don't just pull hair now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing. Dempsey doesn't know how close he came. <laughs> he has I'm no afraid idea. he'd have only got his hair pulled. <laughs> yeah. You do think it kind of teases you into thinking there's going to be a fight, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 But I'm glad it didn't go there. And no. it, it's interesting as well. Um, I, I have a mild obsession with, with movies that revisit characters 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Uh-huh. I love the idea of watching characters age mm. in front of us on the big screen. And I actually think the 12-year gap between the last movie and this one worked in this movie's favour. It allows uh, it allows for jokes about Bridget being a geriatric mother, for one thing. That's, mm. that's very funny. But it also allows, as you say, some uh, melancholy notes as well, especially yeah. with, with Mark and, and Bridget, where they've yeah, that was definitely the way in. I mean, that I was taken by, I was taken by surprise by that because I'm taken by surprise by how old I am. <laughs> so I had just thought, you know, here we are, another day, another conversation about Bridget, and I thought, bloody hell, we're, we're that much older. Yeah. And when I started to sense that there was goodwill towards this, I, I didn't expect it. Suddenly, 15 years have gone by. Yeah. That's what it feels like. It's it's that's why you know instead of people rolling their eyes at the idea of a sequel, uh, I mean some people. We'll always do that, probably. But in this case, I thought, no, people want this. And it's because they were they're 15 years older, too. You know, there's a, nostalgia is now working in our favor. Um, the, the, the melancholic aspect of time passing mm-hmm. and the fact that everybody in 15 years will have had some disappointments mm-hmm. and be reflecting on things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, that's collective. That's not just the actors and the characters. That's the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you're only five when you first saw it, you're, you're now 20. Yes. So um, we've got that in common. And, and it's amazing how the passage of time has a way of taking us by surprise, even though it's supposedly, you know, it's slow. Uh, it will suddenly seem like we've leapt into another stage of life. Mm. And of course, there's a montage in this movie of clips from the first. Yeah, I find that rather yeah. brutal watching that. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fine figure of a man. Well, thank you. you have but an um, no, I think it, before you judge me, I think come to the film armed with any pictures of yourself 15 years ago. And we can all <laughs> share the experience. But going back to the idea of the first movie, was this one of the, the one of the the moments in your career that changed your life? Do you look back fondly at the first movie in the oh, same way as Pride and Prejudice and King's Speech? It did. I mean, the thing is, when you're if you sit doing an interview and talk about the what the changes that happened, um, you talk about it from that perspective. You know, where was I in my career or something? But and and yes, the, I, there's no question about it. But I was also, um, uh, you know, my, my son was being born at that time as well, and uh, so that year is very much marked by that so I wasn't really taking much stock of what was happening in my professional life in the same way so I I probably you know wasn't making as much of an account of it uh, as I might otherwise have done but definitely I I think you know I I wasn't you know certainly in terms of films things changed a lot I'd done very little comedy Mm -hmm. almost none actually until that point and suddenly it launched a whole decade where I seemed to be doing, you know, endless rom-coms. And, and it was very bizarre to suddenly f- become associated with them, having never gone near one up to that point. Really. Yeah. So there was that. And also, uh, I was never out of work. And I always felt very fortunate and always thought I was actually really successful. And then when that film came out... It was as if I'd just arrived. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying, 
people were treating me as a newcomer or something. <laughs> so, so, well, anyway, I, I thought I'd been around. It, it, it was, um, you know, it, it was, uh, I, and I've had a series of those where I thought I was, or, I'd already arrived, and then mm. was treated as having arrived, and uh, and that that's kept going. Well, there seems to be a, a number of reinventions in your career. I'd say rather than moments when you've arrived. Mm. Certainly, I think watching your career since the King's Speech, since the Oscars, has been interesting. But Kingsman as well is something mm. that I think made a lot of people think of you in a different light. Is that something that you've experienced since? Well, that having yes, I mean it's wonderful to have to still get. I mean, because I think we keep, or certainly I do, but I do. Th- I, do I think it is quite common to think I now know what I'm about. You know, it's, if it isn't established by now, it's never going to be established. This is what I do. This is who I am. This mm-hmm. is what people expect of me. And uh, I think one of the things that has surprised me about getting older is that you don't just necessarily reach a cruising level and then just stay the same. I've seen this in my own parents, you know, thinking that once you grow up, you just stay the way you are. Absolutely. And, and seeing new things happen and, new, and surprises, you know, be, being ambushed by it's not so much I, I'm not I don't feel particularly connected to how I'm perceived really but in terms of the experience I mean you're talking about Kingsman I I did not expect that anybody was going to ask me to embark on a six month physical training program three hours a day every day um, having never really done anything seriously athletic in my life to suddenly be in this team of you know Olympic standard stunt people and and then, the, you know, the big surprise, I wasn't surprised that it hurt. And I wasn't surprised that it was <laughs> rather humiliating at first. I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's I, I, in some ways, I think um, I feel it's tremendous good fortune, really, to, to keep being, you know, surprised by new stuff. And, I, you know, you get the, the surprises aren't always good ones. You know, if you're, if you're lucky enough to be regularly working at this job, um, it's the one you have high hopes for is often the one nobody likes and, mm, yes. you know, and, and, and vice versa. Before we go, I just have to ask you about the film we probably can't talk about at this point anyway, but uh, you happen to be visiting the same film set uh, I was on a, few, a couple of months ago. We can't talk about how you come back in the Golden Circle, but can you tell us what to expect from that film, from your visits on set, from your... Well, I think um, I, from what I have seen and what I uh, can glean, mm-hmm. um, I think that Matthew Vaughan is very, very astute uh, addressing that paradox over sequels, knowing that people um, only want the second one because of the first one. And you need to deliver something that won't disappoint the fans of the first one. But it does have to reset itself. Mm-hmm. It does have to justify its existence independently. Mm-hmm. And I think he's struck that balance absolutely brilliantly. I think he, he will continue to be outrageous. Um, it's not just a case of doing that sequel thing of turning it up to 11. Yes. You know, if you like the violence in the first one, you get more violence. It's you like the, the music scene part two. It's not. Yeah, it's not. No, let's just make it longer. And, yeah. you know, so it's not just higher body count and louder music. Um, I think he's done that thing of pulling the rug again. 
mm. you know he's he's very clever at that he, he likes to mess with your expectations mm. he likes to take you know uh, Robert De Niro pirate king scary menacing you know get captured and then you realize he's actually you know he's a cross dresser and he's <laughs> very very sensitive and you know bursts into tears easily yes. and it's Robert De Niro yes. and he did the same thing in reverse with me coming for chick flicks you know yes. he's certainly not you know he's no action credentials whatsoever <laughs> and uh, and then you know seek to surprise everybody which is the last person in the world you think would be the cold steel killer or uh, well he's taken your expectations from the first film I think and uh, he's he's subverting them again fantastic and uh, Colin Firth thank you so much thank you thank you thanks Colin Firth there uh, what a guy what a legend didn't beat me up with an umbrella, which is always good. Uh, right, that's how some movie news. That's, there's not a lot happening this week. It hasn't been a huge amount. Um, some exciting composer news this morning that I know Emma would want mm. us to discuss. Um, Rogue One, uh, a Star Wars story, has mm. changed composers. So basically because of those uh, reshoots that we reported on earlier in the summer that everybody's been talking about, uh, the film schedule has changed slightly and that meant, means that... Uh, Alexandre Depla has <clears throat> stepped out and Michael Giacchino has stepped in. So a lot of people were talking about the prospect of a Giacchino Star Wars score when JJ was first hired to do episode seven. Mm. Obviously, in that case, they both said, no, this is a John Williams gig. It has to be John Williams. Uh, but it's good to know that Giacchino's finally getting his chance to do a little bit of Star Wars. And this is, the, of course, the first Star Wars movie not scored by John Williams. That's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not counting Clone Wars, of course. Not counting Clone Not Wars. Counting. Um, it's interesting. I was woken up last night at 4am by what I thought was a massive thunderstorm uh-huh. in London. Turns out it was Alexandria going to splat as he was... <laughs> Jettisoned roughly. Oh dear. He was Rogue not jettisoned. It's a it's a scheduling issue. It's n- it's no lack of faith in him. I'm it, sure. I find your no lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, I'm sure it's a scheduling issue. Okay. Um, Great. And, uh, and not a sign of eleventh hour trouble. No, it's fine. Everything's it's be all fine. fine. Everything's okay. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, but I'm still very very hopeful about Rogue One, and he is a great composer, as indeed is Mr. Depla, as you've. Have you've, I pronounced you've, you've it right? You've led the way. You've led the way. I don't know. I've always... Again, it's like Eleniac. Eleniac. It's... What is it? Is it Despla? Is it Depla? I like yours. All right. Let's go with that. It's not Desplat. <laughs> <laughs> I know that much. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's certainly interesting news. Chikino is fantastic. Staying in the stars and possibly confusing myself like I did the other week, uh, Star Trek has a new TV show coming out, finally coming back to our small screens with Discovery. Uh, but... It has been delayed somewhat. They were talking about it being due in sort of late January, February, but that always seemed really soon, since given that they're, they've barely started shooting, if at all. Uh, and sure enough, it has been pushed back to May 2017. Um, this is reportedly absolutely the choice of the exec producers and creators, Brian Fuller and Alex Kurtzman. So uh, they are basically... They say, we we aim to dream big and deliver, and that means making sure the demands of physical and post-production for a show that takes place entirely in space and the need to make an air date don't result in compromised quality. 100%, I think, the right decision, because we've all seen what can happen when you rush to meet a release date. <coughs> Mummy returns. <laughs> this podcast every week. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, hooray. Zack Snyder has been on Twitter. 
that's that's news, isn't it? He he's <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's posted this week a, a, a new photo of a new bat suit. This is the tactical bat suit. So they're obviously they're filming Justice League at the moment, mm-hmm. according to Snyder, to finishing, They are on the home stretch. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've got a new look at a new look bat suit for Ben Affleck's Batman. This is a tactical bat suit. So I guess it means I don't know. He, he he'll be using tactics. He, he, he uses more tactics than usual. <laughs> But as we've seen on, on Empire's Twitter and Facebook, every comment has been, oh, it just looks like Night Owl from Watchmen, doesn't it? And it, it kind of does. Like, he's got, like... The no. It's the goggles. It's the goggles, yeah. yeah. It's the very thick black goggles, and then there's sort of little owly ears as opposed to the, the batty ears. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, it, it lo- a... Technical it's the, term. It looks... Yeah, I think it looks cool. Uh, I mean, I, I think we, we can all agree that Ben Affleck's Batman was... One of the better elements of Batman vs Superman, correct? Um, and Ben Affleck has a producing role in Justice League, so going to guess that he's going to have quite a lot of control over what happens here. So it looks interesting. Yeah, intriguing. I wonder if he's going to have any other changes, whether it's going to be like a like a banquet Batman. Yeah, I think I think he has black tie, a suit for every occasion. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, swimming Batman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'd be interesting. Where does he hide the ears? Sunbathing Batman. <laughs> yeah. Sunbathing Batman. Casual Batman. Yeah, just sort that? of tactical bikini. Yeah. A tactical bikini. Yeah. I don't know. Just bat sort of bikini. Bikini, yeah. there you go. With you know bat what? tassels from I'm, his I'm, bat nipples. I'm open to it. Let's let's see how that works. He could do that. Yeah. Leaping yeah. out of a bat cake. <laughs> <laughs> to serenade Steven Seagal. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. This is a whole other film. This chef, is. Chef Batsu. Yeah. Under Bat Siege. Now, that's the only way that film could be improved. <laughs> That's that's it, okay. The only <laughs> way. Singing in the bat rain. Okay, that's enough of that. Yeah, uh, probably best. Um, so, Jackie yep. Earl Haley. Mm. This is going to shock you guys. He's playing a bad guy. No, what? come yeah. on. Yeah, I know. Speaking of people who are on Watchmen, um, he is joined the cast of, uh, which is now called Alita Battle Angel. I always thought it was Battle Angel Alita, but it's now the other way around so this was the the manga adaptation that Jim Cameron was working on for years and years and years and years and years before he went off to play in Avatar Land mm-hmm. and he's given it over to Robert Rodriguez in the hope of hopefully fulfilling that promise that Rodriguez has in my opinion anyway not fulfilled and uh, the cast is coming together nicely so we have uh, Christoph Waltz Rosa Salazar playing Elita mm-hmm. and now Jekyll Earl Haley has uh, Jackal Jackal Earl Haley <laughs> I'm having a shocker this week. Bernie Manning again. Yes. Jackal, 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 he's joined. Battle Angel Alita. What a fucking disgrace. <laughs> Jackal Haley has uh, joined. Uh, he's going to be playing a monstrous cyborg in a fill-in row. And uh, there you go. That's mm. that's all we know. Uh, set in the 26th century. And Alita is an amnesiac female cyborg who's rescued from a scrapyard by a man named Dyson, who then puts it together as a hoover. Uh, not a Hoover. That's a trademark. That's a trademark. A vacuum, a vacuum cleaner. Uh, she's rebuilt as a deadly martial artist and becomes a hunter warrior. There you go. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? It's <laughs> all very exciting. You um, <laughs> should just call it a Dyson Airblade and be done with it. I think that'd be fun. Jackie Earl Haley, we like him. We do. Yeah, he's great. And uh, yeah, while I'd like to see him get a chance to play more heroes. He is a very good villain, so, you know, should be fun. Mm -hmm. Very intense, intense kind of guy. And uh, speaking of intense (laughs) action, the giant Jason Statham versus the giant shark movie, Meg, is coming together nicely. Uh, 
Its cast has been rounded out this week by Cliff Curtis Ooh, off always. of mm-hmm. Fear the Walking Dead. Um, so that's all very, very exciting. So it's it's going to be the Stath battling a shark the size I'm, of a small building. I mean, I know we have a lot of listeners who are big fans of Shark Attack 3 and this can this can only hope to live up to those heights, right? So uh, mm. fingers crossed for that. What's the line from Shark Attack 3? I'm not going to repeat it on air. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, if you all go to YouTube and you look up Shark Attack 3 and John Barrowman, you're in for a treat. <laughs> Um, hey, Ellen has avoided of- my cunning trap. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of big monster sequels, yes, uh, Pacific Rim uh, mm-hmm. has cast a new cast member, mm-hmm. um, Kaylee Spaney, I believe if you pronounce it. I'm not sure about the, the second part. Uh, has been cast as the female lead, so she will be appearing opposite John Boyega, who of course plays as the son of Stacker Pentecost. Um, I don't know what. His first Kevin name will Pentecost. be but it's just Bob Pentecost. Yeah, it's going to be something really mundane. Uh, so yeah, we don't know much else about her yet, but uh, we know that she's in it. John Boyega's in it. Scott Eastwood is in it as well, um, and uh, and they will be battling more giant monsters under the direction of Stephen S. Knight of Daredevil fame. So fingers crossed for that one. Indeed, I do not know anything about this uh, young lady. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it says she's an, uh, an actress and singer, but I haven't heard any of her songs, so I cannot vouch for her for her singing ability. I doubt that'll come in relevant in the film anyway, though. You never know. Who knows? Mm. Yeah, she could serenade the kaiju. Maybe it'll be like the end of Mars Attacks, where her singing <laughs> proves the key to defeating the monster yeah, that threat. The, that could be the twist. Yeah, she could be the Tom Jones of this entire thing. Act, act. Uh, one last thing before we get on to the movie reviews. Uh, Margot Robbie, confirmed this week, is going to co-produce and star in the Harley Quinn solo spin-off film. Uh, so it's all happening in the uh, DCEU, the DC Extended Universe, uh, confirming bad guys in the solo Batman movie, which doesn't have a date yet. The Harley Quinn movie doesn't have a date yet either, but it imagine somewhere around 2018, 2019 for that one as well. So intriguing. Harley Quinn, I think we discussed, was one of the, the better elements of Suicide Squad. Um, there's still a lot of work I think to do with that character but we, we've also said she's perfect casting for that role mm. she's great she nailed it uh, and it's reportedly going to feature a number of female DC characters with the likes of Batgirl and the Birds of Prey rumoured to be in the mix apparently cool it says here he's yeah, yeah, literally yeah. reading off an internet website <laughs> an internet website <laughs> <laughs> this is going well this is going really well yeah. this is fantastic I need another one of these delicious M&S extremely delectable caramel crispy <laughs> mini bites this is the only thing that's going to get me through the next 20 minutes or so um, and my apologies to everyone at home who doesn't have one of these it's great you can get them in shops which which shops Chris well this one Helen this is so weird we actually not sponsored by M&S but uh, it's M&S ah. uh, it's just two uh, you can get two of these these tubs for four pounds and as you can see here as well I also have an extremely indulgent salted caramel popcorn mini bite good lord I feel like advertising standards are going to be after us for this somehow I'm not sure on what grounds but advertising standards when you want your advertising to have standards (laughs) see now they'll now they'll give us things (laughs) <laughs> that's that's how it works. Uh, right, time now for a final guest this week. Uh, the last time Sam Neill was in the pod booth, it was a source of great joy for Helen. It, it was, was a source of much sadness for me because I was away. I didn't get to bang on about Event Horizon to his face, his weirdly eyeless face. Um, luckily, he has eyes. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, he yeah. does. Yeah, at least he pretends to have eyes. He does have eyes. I think we all know. 
We all know the truth. Uh, he was back this week to talk about the brilliant hunt for the wilder people, and I seized my chance by locking him in the pod booth Damn and you. saying, "You can't leave. <laughs> she won't let you." <laughs> Enjoy the interview. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of Hunt for the Wilder People, the great Sam Neill. How are you, sir? Feeling great <laughs> after that introduction. Do you often get introduced as the great Sam Neill? No, I think it's the first. <laughs> that cannot be the it, first time. It's the less than great, or or sometimes it's the great Hugo Weaving. <laughs> I'm not Hugo Weaving. That always confuses me because you don't look anything like. I know Hugo it's, it happens all the time. Mm. Is this why you grew the beard? <laughs> so the people do not confuse you with Hugo Weaving. He's got a big beard. Has he now? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I know him principally for his uh, clean-shaven roles. Yeah, he's so, often playing policemen. He is. Yeah, <laughs> or a nasty. In, in fact, of, of death. I, I saw him in two films on the plane, mm-hmm. and he was playing policemen in both of them. <laughs> and I, I wrote to him and said, "You've got to, you've got to cut back on the policeman roles." He said, "My last five films, I was a policeman." So he's getting typecast as an Australian policeman. <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah. Well, he's got. If you got the face, if it suits, if it fits, if you wear the uniform well. Well, you know, sometimes he's he's a rotten policeman. Sometimes he's yep. a nice policeman. Mm-hmm. And in one of them, he's, he's a policeman who likes to wear frocks. <laughs> now that is a movie I need to watch. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been typecast? I don't know. Do you think I've been typecast? I don't think you have. I think there's an incredible thing about your career. There's an incredible eclecticism. Uh, where you're playing the Antichrist one minute, mm. and then next minute you're playing uh, Dr. Alan Grant, mm. and now the twain shall meet. And I don't think people can necessarily buttonhole you or mm, that's put good. you into a box. That's probably a good thing, isn't it? It is a good thing. Yeah. I was looking back at your uh, your CV. I mean, Hunt for the Wilder People really does stand out as well, but I looked back at 1981, which was the year that you made yeah. uh, Possession, which is an Possession. amazing film. Now, there's... There's a yeah, that's a nice reference. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you know about Possession. <laughs> and, and that's a very obscure film that um, it got a short uh, burst of notoriety here because it was banned as a video nasty. Never even got a theatrical release, in spite of it having been in competition at Cannes, mm-hmm. uh, where Isabel Adjani got Best Actress for it. But it's a film yes. I'm very proud of. It's you know, it's very extreme, strange. Polish film set in Berlin, Cold War Berlin. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, I kind of love it. <laughs> it's it's such a great film. Is it something that comes up? It, it feels to me it's a film that's getting a a, a critical reawakening. I think as yeah. the years go by, some some things get re reevaluated, and, yeah. and I'm glad that's one of them. Absolutely, um, and of course, the same year you did play the Antichrist in the, in the Omen Three. Um, <laughs> I glad I'm. I'm not sure about the way you laughed <laughs> while you said that. No, I just remember the very, you were the very first person I interviewed for Empire mm. way back in 2001 for The Dish. And right. I had literally been at Empire magazine for about two weeks. Mm. And someone said, would you like to interview Sam Neill? And I was like, yes, of course. The great Sam Neill. I will interview the great Sam Neill. And uh, we talked about the uh, Omen 3 because mm. I love the Omen films. And do you I, really? I, I do, I do. The, 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 yeah, they're, they're great films. Uh, the Omen is one of my favourite horror films of all time. Mm-hmm. And I remember. T- I like I, The Omen too, the first one, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very good. Mm. And I remember talking to you about it and said, how did you research the role? And you said, well, there are not a lot of Antichrists around. Mm. So I just remember, that's why I laughed when I said yes. The Antichrist. Uh, yeah. Because it's, it's a difficult role to research. Oddly enough, I, I always thought he was, sort of, uh, he was pulling my leg, but 
Taika Waititi, who, who directed Hunt for the Wilder People, mm-hmm. is a great fan of Omen 3, the one I, in which I am, I am the Antichrist. Yeah. And he can quote whole... <laughs> I don't, you know, he would he he would come up behind me and and using my strange accent in the film, he would <laughs> he would quote quote screeds of stuff that I'd completely forgotten. I, I couldn't tell you one line from the film. He knows it off by heart. <laughs> really? Yeah, I grew up with it. Thought it was great. That is but, amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. curious. No, it absolutely is. It was one of my childhood. There's not uh, so queer as folk. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but you're, you're going to be in London for the next month or so as well, filming a movie, is that right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do a few days. Uh, Liam Neeson's doing a film called The Commuter. I'm mm-hmm. just going to do a few days on that. Okay. He's an old, old friend. Uh-huh. And, uh, but we've never actually crossed paths in a movie before. <laughs> so this will be a first. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People yeah. is a fantastic film, one of my films of the year. Uh, it is a New Zealand movie. Do New mm. Zealand movies come your way very often? It strikes me that your career, you're, you're very global. You take movies in America, England, all over, but maybe not necessarily back back at home. Well, we don't make many movies in mm. New Zealand. Yeah. So, no, I'd probably once every 10 years I might make a film in New Zealand. Yeah. But um, I'm glad this is the one for this 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> if you make one film every 10 years. Yeah, it might as well one. be that. It might as well be this one. It's a, it's a fantastic film. How did it come your way? I don't really know. It was... It was uh, I, look, I was aware of Tyker's work. Yeah. And he was clearly aware of mine. He'd, you know, he knows every line of, of The Omen. Uh, but um, I'd seen uh, Eagle vs. Shark. I absolutely loved... Um, Boy, I think it's a yeah. brilliant piece of work. Yeah. And I saw, I, I saw um, uh, what we do in the shadows on a plane, mm-hmm. and was uh, was doubled it. up in in you know, I think it's hilarious. Yeah. So uh, when a script came to me and said, "Would you, would you mind having a look at this?" I said, "I probably don't even need to read it. If it's Tyker, I'll do it." You know. But yeah. I did read it. Yeah. And um, I loved it. Because it moved very quickly. Uh, Taika told me that he yeah. had been working on this. This was meant to be his first film. Yes. Years and years ago. Uh, he decided ultimately he couldn't adapt someone else's work as his first movie. He, mm. so he decided to do Boy and Eagle vs. Shark. I, th- I think um, the original title, because he, he did an ab- adaptation about 10 years ago of this book mm-hmm. when he had the rights. The, the rights lapsed and it came back to him. But mm-hmm. I think his original title was Valley of Tears. <laughs> so he obviously had a rather different spin on it. Yes. All that time ago. Because yes. the book is not funny at all. Mm-hmm. There are no laughs in the book. This is wild pork and watercress. Yeah. But it's so it's it has very much Tyker's sensibility and sense of humor stamped mm-hmm. all over it. It's 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 a glorious film. It's it's a wonderful uh it's many, many things. It's wonderfully idiosyncratic. It'll take you from mm. tears one second to tears of laughter the next. There's an amazing mm. cut and not not to give anything away, but there's an amazing cut from a, a heartbreaking moment to a cameo from Taika as a uh rather unorthodox minister, shall we say, which is just this mm. glorious sort of tonal tightrope that he walks constantly as a director. Uh yes, and that and that um that sermon that he gives yeah. is what you think is the silliest thing you've ever heard, is word for word from uh, a funeral that he'd been to. Wow. He goes to some interesting funerals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very, very funny film as well. And at, at its heart is this 
great relationship between your character, mm. uh, Heck, who is, how would you describe him? He's a, he's a curmudgeon. curmudgeon. Yeah, Jinx. He's a curmudgeon. He's, uh, he's someone mm. who's very, very grumpy and very, very, uh, mm. he doesn't want this young boy, Ricky Baker, in his life. No, and he's, you know, he's full of grief mm. a lot of the time. Mm. And what, what I think they do have in, in, in common is, is, is that they're marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they learn interdependency. And uh, Julian Dennison plays Ricky. Julian is brilliant. Mm. Uh, and um, I, I can say that because he's not here. <laughs> I don't like, you know, like, blows, blows smoke in his direction if he's around. Mm. But um, his comic timing is something to behold. And um, he's a very funny kid. Mm. I had a great time with him. Was there a lot of improv between the two of you? Or is Tiger there was a fair much? bit. Um, uh, pro- probably uh, Tiger took out the best of it because he didn't write it. <laughs> uh, but, um, and, and there was a lot of last-minute stuff. We'd, you know, we'd think of things and Tiger would say, yeah, that's good, do that. Or that's a crap idea, let's not do that. Yeah. Or I've thought of something, do this. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of thinking on our feet. We, we worked fast and, and we, were, we were ready for anything. It's, a, it's certainly a film, I, 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 again, go back to that tonal tightrope. I love how adroitly it walks at. Uh, sad one minute, funny the next. Right. And bizarre, as you say, it's filled with bizarre characters. <laughs> um, That's right. But it's a, it's a film that uh, you seem to have really taken to your heart. Uh, Taika told me, I interviewed him about a month, a month, two months ago, uh, and he told me that you had embarked upon a tour of New Zealand in mm. a rental car of mm. your own accord uh, and went around New Zealand stopping the small towns, getting out and spreading the word. Is this true? That is true. That is absolutely <laughs> true. Wow. Yeah, I'm uh, proud of this film. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, th- I thought it was kind of, um, in, a, in, a, in an odd way, <clears throat> it was a kind of gift to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. It's a peon to New Zealand. Yeah. And I wanted New Zealand to see it and be aware of it. And, and, um, and one of the rewarding things about it, it for me is, you know, so much warmth and love has come back. As a, res- as a result of people seeing it. Mm. Uh, what I didn't realize was that it would travel. It's very difficult to, to have a New Zealand film work in Australia. They're very resistant to <laughs> the idea of a New Zealand <laughs> film being any good. And the reverse is true. Uh-huh. New Zealanders really resist Australian films. They don't want to go. They don't <laughs> want to touch them. Um, so this film uh, was a really big success in Australia. Yes. And, and that's, that surprised us. And uh, I suppose, you know, if you tell the story of a village, everyone understands what a village is. If you mm. tell the story of a relationship that is authentic, yeah. uh, everyone can relate to that. So uh, it perhaps it shouldn't have been a surprise, but it was a surprise to me that people have warmed to this film elsewhere in the world. Absolutely. I have to go back to the uh, the impromptu tour of New Zealand. Uh, what sort of reactions did you get when you rocked up in small towns and? Well, for instance, um, without fanfare, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, well, I would say, um, well, for, the last showing I had was meant a lot to me because uh, it was a place called Nelson, and my my oldest friend uh, lived in Nelson. His name is John. John and I have uh, been friends 
since we were 12. Mm-hmm. And John got cancer uh, two or three years ago, was in remission. And there was something I didn't... There was something told me, I must take this film to Nelson and show it to, uh, to, to John and his family. Uh, I didn't realize that um, this would be... He came to the film, he was terribly... And I made a speech uh, before, beforehand, and I said, this is a bit like when, you, when you're at school, you do, your, school, you do your, you know, your project, your woodwork project, and you take it home to the people you love and you really want them to love it. Mm. Well, I, this is our project. I brought it here to Nelson. My old friends are at the, at the back there, and I hope they love it too. And John was very touched by that. And um, what I didn't realize was he got very ill after that, and it was the last time he left his home. Oh. And he died about um, four weeks later. So um, that's, the, that's the sort of thing that was... Because it's so much about love yeah. and friendship, this yeah. film, yeah. that um, uh, that meant a great deal to me. It's a beautiful, beautiful gesture. Um, sorry for your loss. But New Zealand is obviously very important to you. I mean, you, you, mm. you've lived there all your life. Virtually, you've, mm. um, you have obviously your 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 vineyard, your winery, two paddocks, which is very important to you mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, having lived in London, obviously in the past, you have moved away from New Zealand in the past. But there's something that always pulls you back, I guess. Yeah, is I'd, that fair to say? Yeah, I, I've, I've, I'm, I feel I'm part of it, and it's part of me. I'm fourth generation New Zealander. Yeah, I think where things are changing for the better and. In some ways, Hunt for the Willow People is a kind of expression of that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a gorgeous thing. Uh, have you any plans to, while you're here for a month or so, uh, get a rental car, drive around small towns <laughs> north of England, introduce the film? Well, I, well, that's quite a good idea. Why don't I do that? <laughs> you could. It'd be fun. It would be fun. Um, one of the films that you... I, I have to ask you about this film. Because uh, I'm sure you don't listen to the Empire podcast, Sam, but if you did you would know that one film I bang on about on an almost weekly basis is Event Horizon. <laughs> Which is... It does have its... Um, it does have its followers, this film. I, I, yeah. think, I'm, I think I am the follower. I think, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is me. Uh, I have... Uh, numerous people have tweeted me saying that they have watched Event Horizon on my recommendation mm. because I don't I don't shut up about it on the podcast. And uh, and do they do they respond well? Or they, they, they seem to like it, yeah. They and like again, it. this is a film that is getting a uh, reappraisal, yeah. I think, uh, as time goes by. Um, I, you shot that here, didn't you? Yeah, well? Pinewood. Yeah. 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 How how was that experience? What was working on Event Horizon like, apart from the, the, the times when you were uh, naked and covered in goo? Yeah, that was pretty horrible. <laughs> um, but the rest of it was fun, and uh, you know, casts were a lot of fun. Um, I, I um, if I have any criticism of the film, because I think it's it's full of really interesting stuff, mm. and I like space films, I like science fiction, um, so I'm, I'm glad I, d- I did a space sci-fi film. Yeah. It was really good. Um, I think uh, it's kind of cut too frenetically. Mm-hmm. It needs more quiet bits in it. Mm-hmm. I think I think Paul just wanted to be. Bang, 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 never let you go, you know, like yeah. take by the scuff of the neck. And it, it does have an incredible sense of unsettling mood, this very pervasive claustrophobia mm. that I think comes over the film. And of course, what's interesting about the movie is how insane it goes towards the end, where you mm. are essentially, 
you, 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 you've uh, transcended from playing the Antichrist to essentially the, the devil at the end of the movie. I didn't know what I am at the end of that <laughs> film. No idea. Books can be written on what you may be at the end of that <laughs> movie. <laughs> but it's certainly an interesting film. Yeah, it goes I, into a very, very dark space, and the character does too. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine he, he starts off, and you think he's the most reasonable person in the in the story, really. Well, you think he's Alan Grant. It's essentially yeah. what you think at the beginning of the film. And he turns out to be when he comes out of the jail. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. But uh, there's an interesting. You talked about the uh, the spaces in Event Horizon. There was a longer version, a director's cut. Is it that was lost? Really? Strangely enough, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, uh, it exists in one form. A rather tatty VHS copy that I think only one of the producers and Paul uh, W. S. Anderson has, and I don't believe it can be retrieved from that VHS copy. Really? So, yeah, it was a bad transfer. How much longer was it? About twenty twenty five minutes. Oh my like god! That. Yeah. Well, so, how long is it uh, in in the version that that that? Uh, one hundred and five, one hundred and ten, maybe something like that. So it's uh, you can see why they may have cut it down for commercial. Ah, well, but, you see, maybe that's a better version. It has some more quiet bits. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe see if we can find it and get it, you know, yeah. uh, remastered one these days. Um, Sam, I have to let you go, but uh, uh, we were talking beforehand uh, about certain some of the movies that you felt have been overlooked in your career. Yeah. Uh, I talked about The Dish, which I think is a fantastic film. And yeah. you mentioned Dean um, Spanley. Yeah, Dean Spanley's... Yeah, there are various films on, along the way that you think, I, I really like this film and I'd like everyone to see it and mm-hmm. and Dean Spanley is certainly one of those I think it, and it's very odd and eccentric there's nothing else like it at all mm. that I've ever seen yeah but it's so odd and and such a challenging character for me because without spoiling the story because I do recommend <laughs> that people see it I I am uh, an Anglican parson yes a, a dean Yes. Who's had a former life? Yes, I, I nearly gave it away. I'm glad I didn't say. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> and the former life is interesting when you get to play that. Yes. Yeah. When he drinks Tokai, he has flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So not, not an antichrist, not no. a paleontologist. Something very, very different. Entirely surprising. <laughs> Uh, as indeed has your career, uh, which is uh, wonderful, I think, and long may it continue. Uh, the great Sam Neill, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> You're allowed to return the favour and call me the great Chris Hewitt. It's fine. You're allowed. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Sam. You are so great. <laughs> that was Sam Neill. Hooray! What a legend. Sam Neill. What a legend uh, in <laughs> enduring my questions about Event Horizon with <laughs> with grace. Uh, yeah, nice he guy. doesn't really remember anything about it, does he? I think he's blanked it out. Yes, yeah. He just he just spent all all his time watching Father Ted while they applied makeup to him. Yeah, and tried to forget everything else. Yeah, we, we, we had a good chat. We chatted about other things as well. It was all good stuff. So let's start off. A lot of films out this week. We're going to start off by talking about Hunt for the Wilder People, Yay. which is the latest movie from Taika Waititi. The uh, can we say genius? Yes, I think so. I think so. Yeah, mm. I think he's hit that point now. Do you think he's hit that point? Yes, I think so. I'm definitely. You think, I think he's so. hit that point? Okay. Uh, yeah, the guy behind uh, what we do in the shadows. Boy, Eagle vs. Shark. If you haven't seen those films, check them out. They're very, very good. And a little movie is coming up next year called Thor Ragnarok. Um, so this is Hunt for the Wilder People. Helen. Hello. I've been raving about this for months. So. We may or may not have held this podcast uh, <laughs> recording session off a day. 
Just so I could For be several back. reasons, but one was because you were away having breakfast with, with well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, Jack, man. I mean, I don't know who you were having breakfast with, but yeah. Anyway. Whoever it was. Whoever who, that was. Whoever it was. <laughs> So anyway, hunt for the wilder people. Hooray! Let's stay on topic. Uh, I'm not this, breaking in a park. <laughs> this is a freaking five-star masterpiece. Um, it is the story of a young man, a boy, a teenager, Ricky Baker, who has been sh- shuttled from foster home to foster home for, it seems like, most of his life. And uh, he is now sent to a new place uh, a couple who live basically on the side of a mountain in the middle of nowhere out in the bush um and you know set to make his home there now ricky baker is a kind of wannabe gangster he's in his little hoodies and his little kind of um just he just wants to be a gangster rapper and it's adorable because he couldn't look anything less like one anyway uh so he's sent to this this new couple they're in the middle of nowhere he doesn't want to be there he keeps trying to run away um and over the course of the film when he gets lost in the bush he very reluctantly and, and very gradually forms a really lovely bond with the the the, the husband of the couple uh, who he calls uncle heck and that is of course Sam Neill's character mm-hmm. while uh, they are pursued of course by child services who want to make sure that Ricky is safe yeah because well. I think that Heck has kidnapped has kidnapped him, kidnapped yes. Ricky um, and this is a fascinating film this was actually meant to be Taika Waititi's first movie believe it or not wow. uh, years and years ago so it's adapted from a uh, New Zealand book uh, called Wild Pork and Watercress mm-hmm. and uh, the book is um I'm so I'm told by Taika Waititi, <laughs> uh, much darker, and the original version was much darker. And there are there are elements of darkness in this movie, which I think makes yeah. surprise because this is a very uplifting, very very funny, very ultimately optimistic movie. But what I love about it is this: um, we talked about it with Sam Neill a little bit. The tonal tightrope that this movie walks, yeah. where it takes you from moments of extreme grief and heartbreak um, to extraordinary black comedy to daffy black comedy to really intricate insightful character study yeah all wrapped up in this wonderful oddball collection of road movie buddy movie action movie even it's a it's a it's a it's a one-off in a year full of wonderful one-offs I think it's, yeah. it's absolutely gorgeous it, it really and it's really hard to sum up exactly how lovable it is I think but I think a lot of it does come down to Julian Dennison as Ricky Baker I think he's an extraordinarily good character um, you know you can see the sort of the layers of, of uh, defences that he's built up over the years mm. uh, going through you know what's obviously already been an extremely tough life for a, for a, a just turned 13 year old um, but those kind of begin to kind of fall away and you see that this kid underneath and, and he's he's just heartbreakingly good he's absolutely wonderful and and yeah Sam Neill I mean he's never been bad he's he's also I don't think ever been better than this so uh, so it, the, the the chemistry between the two of them uh, it's beautifully shot mm-hmm. I think it, it, it mm-hmm. looks great mm-hmm. I mean it must have been made for you know by Hollywood standards about 50p and a packet of crisps but it looks fantastic and it's just so good um, I think it speaks to the power of a really good script and incredibly good casting yeah it reminded me a little bit of uh, Wes Anderson it's got that sort mm. of slightly quirky edge to it 
But what's really impressive is how Taika Waititi has this sort of deft way of not descending into too sort of whimsical and not descending into too sentimental. Yeah. It's a really deft hand where he treads that really fine balance. And I think that part of it is, comes from maybe uh, the setting, like it's a very New Zealand film, feels like a New Zealand sense of humour. Mm. And it, it sort of sells New Zealand as a place as well. Mm. I was watching it thinking, I really want to visit this place. <laughs> it looks amazing. I mean, obviously it's, you know, the land of Lord of the Rings. We all know how beautiful it is, but, mm. it's, but it really makes you want to just go for a hike um, and maybe be pursued by authorities. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's 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 a gorgeous it's a gorgeous piece of work. Yeah, uh, it is. It is a fantastic film, uh, and we gave it five stars, which I believe is a recommendation. I think yeah. just about uh, yeah. So it, it is great. One of the year's best. Uh, I think your favourite film of the year so far. Am I right? Uh, do you know what? I've been having an amazing year. I wasn't here last week to talk about my deep and abiding love of Kubo and the Two Strings as well. That's rocketed into my top films of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, But this one has been number one since I saw it and I don't anticipate that changing. Okay. Where were you last week? Were you on a a run? On Logan's run? Were you? I don't know what you mean, Chris. Jacket in, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm just adamant that you tell us where you were. I can't do that, Chris. Huh, so weird. Huh. We'll get the truth out of you one day. Uh, so five stars now for Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, up next, Bridget Jones's baby. She's back. She's got a baby. <gasps> she doesn't know who the dad is. Ah! We've all been there. Uh, so this is Renny Selberger returning. <laughs> Halfway. <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't pick up on that. But yes, uh, Renny Selberger's back as Bridget Jones. Uh, how, 12 years after the last one, Edge of Reason. Yeah. Uh, Colin Firth is back. No Hugh Grant this time. Uh, he is not back uh, Patrick Dempsey ably fills his void uh, as uh, an American man who may or may <laughs> not be the father of Bridget Jones' baby Colin Firth being the other person Helen yeah um, so this is as you say a much delayed sequel it's kind of good to see her back though and what's interesting is uh, Sharon Maguire who directed the first film has come back for this yes. one and I think the affection that she has for the characters really comes through and I think that carries it through even bits where it's a little bit scrappy and it's a little bit all over the place but then it should be it's a Bridget Jones movie that kind of makes sense um, but so I think yeah it's, it's a really kind of affectionate piece in the same way a little bit that the Ab Fab movie had huge affection for its characters and and, and that kind of carried it through the, the rocky bits this one does something similar although I would say this one is better made as a film um and Renee Zellweger is really good as Bridget Jones. She's kind of a bit more together than she was. She is more successful in her career. She's more uh, more sure of herself, I think. She's not sort of... We see her at the beginning, you know, sitting on a sofa in her pyjamas alone on her birthday because a yeah. few things have gone wrong. Yeah. Um, but instead of just listening to All By Myself and weeping into a can of ice cream. A can? A cup of ice cream. (laughs) Oh my Um, God. (laughs) I think you've just hit upon the billion dollar idea. (laughs) This is going to work. Yeah, instead of that, she she starts, you know, dancing instead because she's a little bit you know, more kind of content with her life and happier mm-hmm. about, about the way things are going. Which, of course, is when two extraordinarily dishy men show up <laughs> and complicate everything. Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran, yes. Well, he actually, yeah, he, he's there. Yes. He's, he's oh, you mean funny. Colin Firth and I Patrick meant Colin Dempsey. Firth and okay. Patrick Dempsey, though. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, listen, it's just not realistic at that point. Like, we, that doesn't happen, I don't think. 
but uh, but if what, it what did, doesn't happen? Um, Colin Firth and Patrick Dempsey hitting on you within a week. Well, not specifically those two, perhaps. Well, but probably not. Two attractive men. One is a barrister. The other one is a billionaire self-help yeah. guru. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, okay, Again. like last week that happened yes. to me, but not <laughs> okay. this week. It's like a know? fortnightly thing, isn't it? Come yeah, on. I mean, just, you know, it's You not... take July off, it's a fallow period, but <laughs> then after that... Yeah, but that's it's... the problem. She meets one of them at Glastonbury, so clearly she... it's during or, July. Or, or meant to be Glastonbury. Yes, meant. Yeah. It wasn't nearly muddy enough to be Glastonbury. Um... Um, anyway, so uh, so yeah, she she can figure out who the father is, um, and she refuses the sort of the aminosynthesis test that would tell her because it has, involves an enormous needle. Now that test would have been administered by film. Emma Thompson's uh, by Emma Thompson's uh, obstetrician, yes. who is the best character in the film, as you would expect. Emma Thompson should be in charge of all of the things. Well, she also um, performed major surgery on the script, as we know. She did perform major surgery on the script, and uh, and quite frankly, the script is better for. I think you can see her hand in the kind of drier wit that comes mm. through yeah. uh, for me. So, so yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's scrappy. It's all over the place. It's not remotely realistic for the most part. Yes. Um, but it is a lot better than Edge of Right Reason. A lot better. So it's something of a return to form, I would say, for Bridget. Yeah, I agree. I think it's uh, scrappy in places. There's a whole subplot that seems to have been jettisoned um, with, with major actors, Darren Boyd and uh, Jessica Hines. Uh, you can see very, very briefly in one scene. Uh, but they don't get anything, but they're credited. And you kind of wonder, are the subplots where things cut out? But uh, what's there is very, very broad. But uh, it, it works for the most part, I would say. But I liked it. And you get all the characters coming back. Hugh Grant isn't back. I actually think the film benefits from that because I didn't think it needed to do a retread no. of the Mark Darcy, Daniel Cleaver. And I think the whole point is that the... she's kind of growing out of being attracted to that guy who yeah. is objectively awful. And there's a nice moment <laughs> pointing out how awful he is. Yes. So I, I thought that played quite well. But Hugh Grant, of course, is busy this year, uh, putting in a fantastic performance. And Florence Foster Jenkins, yeah, I'm banging on about that one forever. Um, but yeah, 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 he's he's not missed, I think, from this movie. And what's interesting is talked about Colin Firth. The Patrick Dempsey character is not just a simple replacement; he's not a dick, which I thought was, was no, interesting. No, but again, I think there might be a, a excise subplot there, or something about you think. I think there is something okay. that's missing there. There's a line that Emma Thompson has near the end that refers to something that we haven't seen. Oh, yeah. So okay. Anyway, but we liked we both liked um, Sarah Soleimani, who is excellent as a new character who is a newsreader friend of Bridget's. Yeah, they they have a really nice dynamic, actually. And I think her other <laughs> friends have, they're still in it, but they've kind of faded in the ba- into the background because of kids and they're all, f- yeah. you know, being married and having kids and being smug marrieds. <laughs> and so she needs that kind of singleton voice beside her. So, so yeah. yeah, and it's the way life goes. That's that's what happens. Absolutely. So four stars then for Bridget Jones's baby. Uh, and who knows, we may see her again down the line. Next up, we have a documentary from Ron Howard it's about a young up and coming band called The Beatles they may never catch on this is called The Beatles eight days a week the touring years and it is a meticulous trawl slash recreation you get some footage from their their, their their American tours in the in the early to mid 60s which have been gussied up via you know, computer techniques uh, perhaps on an internet website they found some <laughs> software uh, and uh, they've got some talking heads Paul and Ringo other people, Sigourney Weaver, Whoopi Goldberg, people you wouldn't expect. Okay, I haven't seen this one yet, mm. uh, despite editing the feature, but how was it? <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a Beatle maniac, like yes. Nick Cage and The Rock. Uh, so, I'll say one thing off the bat, this has the best soundtrack of any film this year. <laughs> okay. This is uh, just extraordinary. Wow. And you just, I mean, yeah. okay, sorry, he's just thrown down the glove, Giacchino, so get after it. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that's the thing. Michael Cicchino couldn't he couldn't improve upon the Beatles. He just couldn't. <sighs> it's fascinating in many many ways. It's it's very very difficult to tell the story of the Beatles in a two hour time period. There's so much you don't touch upon. They don't touch upon the fact that it finishes in 1966. So that's around the time that they they finished touring as an entity. You know, it was getting too much from their worldwide fame was was too much. They were having separate lives at that point. They were about to get into the recording really experimental, ambitious recording phase of their career post the fall of. Her Sergeant Peppers, all that sort of stuff. So they stopped touring, and they were, you know, they, they sort of, you know, they played Shea Stadium and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's fascinating, but it doesn't mention Yoko, it doesn't mention Linda McCartney, it doesn't mention Jane Ash or any of the uh, uh, sort of personal relationships. It doesn't go into that, but it does go into what it's like for them as a band to be at the center of that maelstrom. And if you think that you know what One Direction went through recently and what Justin Bieber goes through. It's small potatoes compared to what the Beatles were. They were at the the center of a storm in the 1960s, as unlike anything we've ever seen culturally. Uh, it was so significant at the time because they were the only show in town, really. And you know, these days, it's so much, you know, multi channels, and you know, people can choose their entertainment. And so, uh, but back then, it seemed to be just the Beatles. They were everywhere. And it's a very, very good portion of the documentary about the sheer pressure that they were going through. You know, the time when Lennon said, for example, you know, we're bigger than Jesus, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so it's very, very interesting. The music is great. It leaves you wanting more. Mm. It ends just before Sgt. Pepper's, not to give too much away. It is called the Turian Years. It ends before Sgt. Pepper's. It ends before things went really nuts for the Beatles. It ends before things like, for example, when John Lennon called a meeting at the Beatles in 1968 to tell them in all seriousness that he was a reincarnation of Jesus Christ. That happened. I want to see a documentary about that. I want to see <laughs> Ron Howard do a sequel to that. But as it is, as it is, great music, very, very good talking heads. Sigourney Weaver is excellent. Turns out she went to one of the, the gigs as a very young girl. Yeah. Whoopi Goldberg is very moving as well. Uh, good, good stuff. Amazing music. Uh, but it does have flaws, which is why we gave it three stars, which is, of course, a recommendation for the Beatles. The Beatles, eight days a week, the touring years. Uh, colon, Dawn of Justice. <laughs> <laughs> right, so uh, next up, very, very quickly, um, we have a good week this week, Blair Witch, which is mm. a stealth sequel. This is a movie Adam Wingard made with his regular uh, writer, Simon Bart, and his regular producer, Keith Calder. And they went out there, and we thought they were making a film called The Woods. There was even a trailer for it and a poster. Uh, it was a found footage movie, and everyone went, ha-ha, isn't that a bit redolent of The Blair Witch Project? And it turns out, of course, uh, as was revealed at Comic-Con earlier in the year, that it was a Blair Witch Project. Not yes. the Blair Witch Project, but a Blair Witch Project is a sequel to The Blair Witch Project, uh, which picks up present day with uh, a relatives of the original people from the movie looking for them. Yeah, so it's Heather's brother Heather's and brother. his friends uh, looking for her with uh, with a new couple who they don't know as well, who are locals to the woods and they come in with them uh, looking to learn more about this uh, about this legend of the Blair Witch and about what happened in particular to Heather but also to her two friends. Um, it is, now I'm, you know, let me just preface this as I always do with horror movies, by saying I'm a huge wimp, but it is scary. Um, and uh, to that extent, you know, there are echoes of the original Blair Witch. There are some moments in this that I think absolutely stand with the original. Um, but overall, I think it's it's hard to recreate lightning in a bottle, which is what I think the original was. And mm. and because it is once again fine footage, because it is once again a bunch of people stumbling around the, the woods, that feels like something we've now seen a lot 
like a lot. Um, it does get get over some of the problems of the original. I mean, you know, the shaky cam that used to make people sick before anything horrific even happened has been somewhat kind of uh, lessened and controlled because they now have sort of uh, little ear cameras. So they mm. sort of sit like a, like a Bluetooth headset alongside their ears. That actually solves a lot of the problems. You know, when you watch some of these fine, fine footage movies, you think... Wouldn't you have put the camera down by now and run away? Well, not if it's just sitting on your head and you don't even remember it's there. So it kind of it removes some of that problem. But there are still bits where you're like, there's no way you would film that. That doesn't make any sense. You know, at this point, you've picked up the camera and you wouldn't have. You would have put that down and gone running for your life. So there's still, you know, some limitations to, I think, the format. Mm. Uh, but Wingard's so good at this stuff that there are just some some great, great moments. Um, for me, I think some of the attempts to kind of... Uh, continue the legend of the Blair Witch to develop the mythology of the Blair Witch weren't wholly successful Mm -hmm. but when it's people being creeped out in the woods it's scary It'll be interesting to see how this one does at the box office and see whether it reinvigorates a franchise that we all thought basically was was done dusted I love the idea that they made this film in secret with nobody knowing presumably the actors knew (laughs) Uh, with three stars then for Blair Witch, uh, which is, of course, as we always say in the podcast, a recommendation and is also a recommendation for uh, The Infiltrator. The last film we're going to be talking about this week very, very quickly. It is a true story. It stars Brian Cranston as uh, Robert Masur, who is a fed who specialises in undercover assignments, trying to take down drug gangs. And suddenly one day he has a brainwave. He's trying to take down Pablo Escobar and his whole network. And he decides rather than following the drugs, we're going to follow the money. And so he goes undercover with Diane Kruger, uh, pretending to be his wife, and tries to infiltrate the Escobar gang at the highest or close to the highest level possible, which involves getting very, very close to Benjamin Bratt's very, very deadly uh, drug lord. And of course, along the way, I think we have the usual tropes of a movie like this, even though it is based on a true story. We have the moments when you know, the, the, the good guy has to worry about morally compromising himself and crossing a line just in order to be able to seem to be able to keep up with the bad guys to so not to blow his cover. Um, it's all stuff that you've seen before. It owes a real debt to Scorsese. It owes a real debt to Donnie Brasco and movies like Goodfellas. But at the heart of it is an amazing performance, a great centre performance by Brian Cranston, who is is absolutely fantastic. He worked previously with Brad Furman, the director, on The Lincoln Lawyer. Very, very small role. This time he really gets to strut. Um, and he's very, very good. It's not, it's not Walter White. This is this is the anti-Walter White, if you weigh it. It's a good guy trying to keep hold of himself while all around him corrupts, whereas Walter White gave in to the corruption. This guy does not. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting. It's got a nice visual style. Cranston's great. Again, has some flaws. You've seen it all before. Three stars. Three stars for the Infiltrator. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast, uh, sponsored by American Airlines. We should mention, of course, that next week, Empire Live yeah. kicks off. It's all very, very exciting. Mm. It's going to be at the O2, 23rd to the 25th of September. Some amazing stuff down there. The full program. I think there's still some things we haven't announced. So check out the website, empirelive.com. Take a look at the full program. Come along. Uh, all sorts of highlights. Things I'm hosting include... What am I hosting? The Raid. Raid Live Commentary with Gareth Evans. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm hosting a script read of Train Spotting with a group of young up-and-coming actors, which is going to be a lot of fun as well. A Q&A uh, with the cast of Bill... 
and following a screening you of Bill. You love them. Uh, they're, they're, it's going to be so good. I'm looking forward to those guys. And uh, we're going to be talking about Yonderland. There's something with Ben Wheatley. Daniel Radcliffe's going to be there. Helen, what are you doing? I don't remember the full list at all, uh, but I know I'm doing a composing masterclass because mm-hmm. um, I'm Pemberton. so good at composing. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, going to be talking about Moana, mm-hmm. which, as you know, I'm very excited about. And uh, we've, got, of course, got the Empire Live podcast. We do. Which is always a pleasure, never a chore. And I was told last night that tickets for that are flying. They're selling like hotcakes, uh, either on BBC One or Channel 4. doesn't <laughs> really matter. Uh, so if you do want to go see the Empire Podcast Live, we're going to have some great guests. We're not going to announce the guests just yet, but uh, do go to Empire Live and pick them up. And that's going to happen next Saturday, which means that next week's podcast will be coming to you on Sunday. Isn't that right, John? I believe so, yes. I believe on Sunday. So not Friday. Sunday, Sunday of next week, and if you can come along to the O2, uh, come and say hello to us. Come and you know uh, see us and uh, and hang out. We'll have an absolute blast. EmpireLive dot com. Uh, until next week, uh, it is goodbye from Helen. Totally. It's goodbye from John. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Noah. Goodbye. Thank you for uh, for everything you've you've. What, what have you What have you done for us, Noah? <laughs> Thank you for everything. It's been, it's been Thank you it's for been having me. It's been absolutely fantastic. Oh, he oh. almost sounded like he meant that. <laughs> <laughs> I did mean it. Absolutely Give him another five. Yeah, yeah, Give yeah, him another yeah. five. Really oh, enjoyed yeah. myself. Some oh, more, yeah, yeah, some yeah. Some more M&S snacks. Another yeah. five won't hurt, but yeah, I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> Tell yeah, it to somebody who cares. Um, <laughs> and it's goodbye for me. I'm off to Stephen Seagal's house disguised as a cake. Am I going to jump out topless with tassels swinging from my nipples? Well, that's for me and Seagal to know and for you guys to find out. See you next week. That's yes. Bye. Yes. Well, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Why would you go to all the trouble? (laughs) You're right. I hadn't thought that through. See you next week. Bye.